we're back. We're doing it again. Revising, even. All right, so if you are just now tuning into the podcast, this is Author's Dozen, a podcast where I explore barriers to storytelling by writing one novel every month for 12 months. Please enjoy. Well, I, I did that, and uh, now the race is done. Wow. I took a little bit of a rest, like I sort of suggested that you do once you're done with your thing. Um, just enjoy it for a minute. Even if it's not perfect, it is finished, and you need to give yourself some time with that. Just enjoy it, because there is a whole other race coming, and uh, this is what that's about. <laughs> Recall the hurdles faced in the creative race. Uh, Study, question, commit. Squawk. It was a good trilogy. People liked it. This is how to finish a creative task. And we did this a dozen times in 2020 and created 12 books. Each finished book resulted in lessons learned, whether through success or failure. Imagine, though, if we return to the racing metaphor but with a twist. What if you were able to go back in time and run each race again, having already learned the lessons of prior failures and successes? What if you could run the same race over and over, only retaining the best aspects of each attempt? That's a superpower. That's a Rick and Morty episode. Burp. Or whatever. Except it's not Rick and Morty. See, we're not a cartoon, you can't magic or science your way out of every problem, and you can't dismiss the value of human life the way you could a 2D representation of such. Revision is a superpower, but one that can be abused, and that can abuse you. Every time you attempt to redo the race, you lose time, you lose perspective, you lose energy. And at some point you gotta ask yourself when the race is run good enough. The entire reason for the Author's Dozen podcast, if you'll recall, was my getting hung up on the near-constant revisions of a novel. Hung up as I was, I was unable to continue to other challenges because I was preoccupied with perfecting the challenge I had already faced. I did manage to break out of that loop, but now, we have to dive back in. Author's Dozen Revised will see yours truly guiding you through the revision process, beginning with an eight-part outline of the entire process. This eight-part series begins now. Start your stopwatches or whatever. In, in fact, actually, why don't you get your friends and family come on and watch, because this eight-part series, it would be a perfect starting point for any friends you'd like to introduce to the podcast, Hinty, Hint, Hinterson. Um, along with the Study, Question, Commit trilogy. It's a, it's a good trilogy. People like it. The Rick and Morty dig might have given you the impression that I dislike the show called Rick and Morty or its creators. That's far from the case, you assumer, you. We will in fact be structuring this study of revision using a revised version of the creator's own story structure process. Alright, uh, Dan Harmon's story circle. It's a thing that we sort of went over uh, before in our plot structure podcast. Um, describes a person starting from a place of comfort, being swept up into an unfamiliar situation before returning, changed. I know you can't see the the circle, um, but just like imagine in your brain a circle. Can you do such a thing? Crazy. And uh, it, you know what happens with the circle. You start and you end in about the same place. Yep. 
All right, now, with that in your mind, uh, imagine, imagine that someone had the audacity to play God and alter the perfect story circle, witness the mutant adaptation of the story circle, Paul Yoder's infinite revolution machine. Tremble as he gaze today's Jan episode artwork, forsooth. It does not end or begin. It is never satisfied, yet provides not one, but two points of comfort and catharsis. If you can't be bothered to look at your screen right now, it forms uh, a sideways eight, otherwise known as an infinity symbol, otherwise known as the same as it ever was human story. Uh, it provides two points of comfort, though. The one that I just came out of, the creation phase, and the perfection phase. The study, question, and commit trilogy of podcasts was a method of internal improvement. It's getting you to the point where you create art. Recreation, however, is an act of external praxis rather than theory, where after internalizing the creative ethos and, you know, putting something out there, you adapt to unforeseen challenges arising from said work. Your idea of the world will smash into and conflict with the world outside. So the Squawk Trilogy gives you a gift of a complete thing that you may now go out and revise. The stages follow from that initial point of comfort. A brief tweet-level description of each stage of the revision cycle. Eight parts. Get your notes ready. Part 1. Comfort. You already have a completed work and it's easier to remain the same than to reform. Number two, desire. We desire perfection, but we're unequipped to achieve it. Number three, the push. We must perceive imperfections and be convinced of the necessity of adaptation. Number four, adapt. We must find innovative solutions and overcome obstacles, costs, and naysayers. Number five, win. Reform is achieved. Number six, cost. Costs are counted, assessed, mourned, and reversed if possible. Number seven, return. Return to comfort with an improved artistic work. And number eight, refined. You retain wisdom and knowledge from revision, able to approach the squawking once again, but better. We begin this episode where we left off. Assume you have completed a draft of a manuscript or your field's equivalent of a finished product. We will examine not only where you begin, but what you should expect before this mission sweeps you off your feet. Alright, number one. If it ain't broke, don't fix it, the old saying goes. Leave well enough alone. And for most things, I'd agree. Oftentimes, fine is fine. Becoming needlessly obsessed with perfection in regards to brushing your teeth will only make your gums bleed. At some decimal point, you have to round off the remainder for pi. You gotta stop and be okay with limitations. But some stuff goes further. Obsession is an inherently interesting trait. For instance, the lady who was so interested in miniature diorama that she invented forensic science. Or the NASA engineer who became so engrossed with very interesting refrigerator parts and invented the super soaker. Obsessed people go down roads no sane person would travel, and they arrive in new and novel places, and that's interesting. But to be obsessed about one thing and to travel that winding road, one must 
necessarily deny other paths and avenues of obsession. This is why we see a triple PhD who doesn't know how to change a flat tire. It's obviously not because she's unable to learn. It's because she got obsessed with something else and just didn't go to like a tire fixing class. Many of us actually do desire perfection in almost everything we do. Who wouldn't want to be Johnny Kim, currently age 36, father of three, former Navy SEAL medical doctor with a degree in mathematics, and a NASA astronaut? I mean, that's our desire, right? Just to be great at everything? But I bet even Johnny sometimes wishes he was a little bit taller, and or a baller. But what's the difference between somebody who just wishes that they had perfection and someone who actually goes out and pursues it? Well, this is where the push comes in. I was watching Judas and the Black Messiah this week, and it dawned on me that every positive reform in America was achieved, like, at gunpoint, under the threat of revolution. Y'all don't fix something until somebody really points out that it's broken, right? Civil rights came under the threat of revolution from Black Panthers, Malcolm X, the threat of civil disobedience from the SCLC and MLK, the New Deal was hammered out under the fear of a communist uprising, and the other kind of revolution, which is a democracy or, you know, being threatened by impeachment or a stunning electoral loss, or both, if you can even imagine such a thing. Um, we'll get into this in a later episode, but in the meantime, know this. Sometimes we don't jump off the high dive until we're pushed. Sometimes, until you're told flat out by someone that your work sucks in such and such a fashion, you will delude yourself into complacency. Next comes adaptation. If we are pushed off the diving board, this is the part where we pencil dive and clench our anus. Seriously, look it up if you're falling fast enough. The water can rush right up your b-hole at terminal velocity and just pop your rectum like an overstuffed sausage. And I hope, you know, that was that was one of the points of this podcast is I just hope I save some lives um, by telling you how to get your rectum to be intact. Um, what I'm trying to say is that in an adapt or die situation, it's a heck of a motivation to adapt, right? For instance, dying of thirst will make you much more adaptable to drinking your own piss. I hope. In revision, the forceful acknowledgement of your work's flaws will unlock your problem-solving potential. And through adaptation, reform will be achieved. This is the win step. Congrats! Alright, that's, that's all. Just congratulations. That's the whole step. Now, you gotta count the cost. It's time to check the damage you inflicted during your glorious revolution. Maybe you got a little bit guillotine-happy. You just, just gotta cut that out. Um, another example. Ever since 9-11, people have been saying, like, Never forget! Never forget! And, I mean, it's not like we're gonna wake up one morning and think, Gosh, wonder if those towers are still up. I mean, we're not, we're, we're not gonna forget. There's another thing to remember about that tragedy, which is the reform that came afterward. We started a war on terror... We expanded government surveillance both at home and abroad. We hired a, I'm so sorry to say this, but useless and time-consuming airport security force to search our intact rectums for four-ounce toothpaste tubes, you know? 
Some good changes came out of 9-11, but some really bad ones came along as well. And not even reforms that were bad for the populace or good for the political elite, but just bad for everybody in the whole world. Some of these bad reforms won't be fixed for years, just as it's incumbent upon you that your revision be carried out for the right reasons, it's also necessary to look back afterwards and assess where overcorrection or undercorrection may have occurred. I mean, if we would have reacted to 400 years of slavery like we reacted to 9-11, maybe we would have given out some reparations rather than just saying, oopsie, oopsie poopsie, shouldn't have done that. But revision can't last forever. At some point, you've got to return to having a completed work. However, your return sees more than an improved product. It also sees you improved. So there, you got, you got the, you got the return having been changed. Ooh. I made a lot of big claims this episode, and in the next few weeks, I'm going to not only walk you through my personal revision process, but actually prove that I'm correct using facts and logic. Somebody once asked, you know, why I keep these episodes so short, and uh, the reason is, is that despite what you might be hearing right now, I write out these episodes mostly, and I, I revise them, and I'm very careful with what I say. That's not, like, a popular thing to do right now. And people might be wondering, like, oh, Paul, why are you even doing a podcast on revision? Aren't we just all about, like, doing things really fast nowadays and just skipping that part to just get stuff out the door and then only revising, you know, once it hurts somebody. And that's a bummer, right? Like our, our culture is all about just putting stuff into the world and only sort of like starting to take it back or revise it once it blows up somebody's house or something. I mean, Facebook, literally one of their mottos is like, move fast and break things. That's a bummer. They did break some stuff, and it was awful. <laughs> they killed a lot of people in Myanmar. Like, come on, dudes. Like, the hilarious thing about Twitter banning former President Donald Trump from talking on their platform anymore is, number one, I haven't heard from the guy in like a month which is crazy. Like, we just spent the last four years just only hearing from him, and suddenly he's gone. And, like, that's a weird and chilling thing, because, like, suddenly you, your speech is essentially cut off compared to most other people. But also, maybe Twitter should have thought about, like, what they do with liars before they started being the world's biggest, like, mouthpiece for lies. It's sort of like, I mean, they got... Trump elected the first time, like, it, and then you, then you change your mind. It's like, oh, the horse is already out of the barn and it's like clomping around the china shop. And then you close the barn door. And like it or not, I work in a slow, slow media. Novels are at their best when someone has taken a fine toothed comb full of red ink to edit the manuscript. You see what I was trying to say? I don't know. I'm mixing metaphors, which is only being happened to do because I didn't write out and edit this part of the episode. I'm just talking. I mean, it is what I think, and I do have a chance to revise this afterward, but you know what I mean. Books are something that take a lot of time for the reader, take a lot of time for the writer. So like, why not get it right? And I think the same ethos needs to be applied to like fast media.
when you are out there just putting your content out into the world, whether it's like YouTube or Twitter or whatever, wouldn't it behoove you to do what we all wish we would do, which is to just be careful? The amount of times I've been tempted to just like share a news story or whatever, only to find out later that that news story was completely false, was completely spun in a way that was untrue to the reality of the situation. Those are like dodged bullets, not only for me, but for people who would have been informed by the false news source. When is the last time you shared something that you like actually checked the sources for? Or even if you've cultivated like a trust of a media source, where did that trust come from? Or are you just grabbing bits and pieces from whatever news source will deign to conform to your personal political opinion? I mean, wouldn't it be amazing if all of us were careful? And of course, you can say, well, oh, if everyone else is doing it, then I'll just do it, whatever. But people notice. People do understand that if you're always spouting off about the latest thing, you know, without a second thought, you're really not worth listening to. And people understand that someone who's just quiet and quiet and quiet, and then when something happens that they have an understanding of, then they come out and say something. I mean, we've all known this person, right? The person who's extremely quiet. And then when they say something, it's just like, whoa, did they just say something that was more important than anything I've ever heard in my life? Like they were saving it all up. They were being careful not to dilute the power of their actual and well-considered opinion by a bunch of like, you know, just thoughts and offhand comments. The following passage has been haunting me ever since I started to become a person who puts their voice out into the world. Um, it's from the book of James, from the Bible. Don't, don't, don't run away. It's not trying to convert you or anything. Here's what it says. Uh, this is from a version uh, written in paraphrase. Don't be in a rush to become a teacher, my friends. Teaching is highly responsible work. Teachers are held to the strictest standards, and none of us is perfectly qualified. We get it wrong nearly every time we open our mouths. If you could find someone whose speech was perfectly true, you'd have a perfect person in perfect control of life. A bit in the mouth of a horse controls the whole... The whole horse. That's a tongue twister in a passage about tongues. A small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. A word out of your mouth may seem of no account, but it can accomplish nearly anything or destroy it. It only takes a spark, remember, to set off a forest fire. A careless or wrongly placed word out of your mouth can do that. But our speech can ruin the world, turn harmony to chaos, throw mud on a reputation, send the whole world up in smoke, and you go up and smoke with it. Smoke right from the pit of hell. This is scary. You can tame a tiger, but you can't tame a tongue. It's never been done. The tongue runs wild, a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. My friends, this can't go on. A spring can't gush fresh water one day and brackish the next, does it? Apple trees don't bear strawberries, do they? Raspberry bushes don't bear apples, do they? You're not going to dip into polluted mud holes and get a cup of clear, cool water, are ya? Unquote. There you go. That's been bothering me 
I mean, this whole podcast, who am I to tell you how to run your life or write your books or whatever? Who is anybody? I mean, all your life you've been hearing advice from teachers who are imperfect at best. And I bet if you just close your eyes and think just for a minute, words can hurt you. Somebody has said something to you in your life that has just cut you straight in half. Words can actually get to places that a sword or a knife or a gun can't touch. And it bothers me to think that I might have said something on this podcast or in my books that is truly harmful and is setting someone off on a path that, that they weren't meant to travel. That bothers me. Not all of us should be podcasters, my friend. But then I also think about the years and years I spent not being a success. I think about, you know, here I am, 30 years old. I was supposed to be doing this kind of thing when I was 20. You know, I was supposed to be building my career and at the and on the cusp of greatness, on the 30 under 30 list or whatever. I was supposed to be uh, married with kids or, you know, living in a, a house in the Hamptons. I don't even know where the Hamptons are, but I was supposed to be there. And I'm so glad that didn't happen. I am... <laughs> Uh, thinking about like me busting onto the world stage when I was 20 years old and all the idiot ideas I had in my head and all the stupid things that I would have been contributing to the world, making the world worse. I'm glad. I'm glad that like, it's not that I waited. It's just that it didn't happen for me. And I think I've been getting better. I do. And I think that I have something to contribute, something that I spent Oh man, it's got to be like 15 years at this point, just honing almost every single day. And if not, well, here's the good news. People are smart. They know when you're talking out both sides of your mouth. Like I said, they understand that if they're not listening to something that's refined, they're listening to the sort of raw ore rather than the gold. And ain't nobody got time for that. And if that's the case, this will fall on deaf ears and nobody will share it and nobody will care. And... I'll hopefully just keep getting better until I have something worth uh, contributing. So here's what I'll say to you. You don't know when you're ready. You can refine things for, you know, a decent amount of time. And you can just be extra careful that whatever wisdom you bring to the table is just brought into your work. And then you put it out there. And it's time for the world to judge. And it's time for your work to be revised in the court of public opinion for people to fight back. If you believe that they're wrong, well, keep doing what you're doing. If what they say cuts to the quick, like I'm going to describe in the next episode happened with me, then you've got a chance to change. So, I mean, not all of us should be teachers, but we should all be contributors. We should all be very careful but we should also be willing to let go of the things we've carefully crafted. I'll see you in the next episode. We're going to talk about comfort and why it's kind of awesome and why you need to just move on. If you're just tuning in after several months, thank you so much for keeping me on your podcast feed. I love you. If this is your first time coming to the episodes, go back and listen to Squawk. There's a... Oh, let me see here. Oh my goodness. Okay, so the Squawk Trilogy, part one, study, is the name of the episode, and I, 
I put it out there on January 9th, 2020. Oh my goodness. What I could have told him, right? What I could have given him some wisdom, invest in Bitcoin, then dump it. Ride that pyramid scheme. Go on, man. Then the the next couple episodes are uh, Question and Commit, which are also very good. Those are my top listen to episodes and people like it. Like I said, if this is your first time listening, go back and check those out. It's a good time. And uh, I think it will set you up for the journey we are about to embark upon. Hey, regardless, uh, if you could go on iTunes, uh, like, share, subscribe my show, and especially, especially give me comments on all the social medias and on iTunes and all those things really helps me hone and figure out the show. Again, can't revise this thing without you guys. You guys have good thoughts sometimes. Only sometimes. Hey, regardless of how dumb you are, I love you. You are mwah, chef kiss. Ooh, and if this is your first time, this is uh, this is a a trend of mine. It's it's kind of a meme of the author's dozen podcasts is that I keep talking until there's really just the, the slow fade out. And uh, nothing in the last minute of these episodes matters at all. And you should be just tortured by what I do. And maybe you're in a place where you're like riding a bike and you can't skip to the next episode. (laughs) You are just doomed, my friend. You're just going to have to listen to me as I slowly fade away.